Hello and welcome to Wema Art Asylum, the place to explore the art, spirituality, and the great ideas in order to find meaning and mission in life. I'm your host, Waverly Matthews, and with us today is abstract artist and art teacher Lola Montejo. Lola spent her early childhood in Madrid, Spain, then her family moved to the United States where she eventually settled. Lola majored in art and art history in college. She went on to get a master's of fine art in studio arts. She is adjunct professor of art at Front Range Community College. Despite her claim that it takes her six to nine months to complete a painting, she is obviously producing a lot of art because she has been in numerous major exhibits in Colorado, including Colorado Abstract Plus 10 at the Arvada Center for the Arts in 2019. Lola is represented by William Havu Gallery in Denver, Colorado. Her latest exhibit is Pink Progression, currently up at the Arvada Center for the Arts through November. Lola, thank you so much for the gift of your time this afternoon. I appreciate it. Lola, are you there? I am. There's been a couple moments where the connection seems a little choppy, but I hope that's it. Um, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Well, first, I just want to check in with you. How are you doing okay. during these pandemic days? I'm, I'm okay. Thank you. I ask you the same. How are you holding up? I'm keeping extremely busy. I'm starting this podcast. I'm taking a course in how to run a podcast as well as a business. Oh. And then I have my day job, which takes about 50 hours a week. And then I uh, am a father to my son uh, on the weekends. So I'm keeping pretty busy. But thank you for asking. Yeah, keep, yeah keeping busy seems to be a good thing for most. Yeah. Uh, how is your creative career going? Um, it's going well, you know, despite um, everything that's going on in the world, I'm still making art. I'm still uh, trying to keep up with everything that I've always done. And I think I'm kind of fortunate that I can work out of the home because it's um, afforded me the ability to continue um, working. And it's definitely um, a helpful distraction to, to get my mind off of some of the stressors that are going on. Yeah, being busy is definitely a gift these days. Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk about your work real quick. Your work is full of colors and strange random shapes, if I can use that term. When I view it, I feel a strange kind of emotional and intellectual complexity. Um, sometimes I feel thoughtful. Sometimes I feel melancholy and then adventurous all at the same time. So are you consciously employing colors and shapes to elicit these experiences or is it more of a unplanned intuitive process? You know, I would say I'm very much an intuitive um, painter, but that's not to say that that intuition doesn't come from somewhere as well. I think that um, my background, my studies, um, always are somewhere in that influence. It always kind of comes out. Um, I don't approach my work with a set of um, uh, rules that I'm trying to adhere or stick by. I try to be really open and experimental. Um, but I think I'm a contemplative person. And so I think probably my best thinking and my most deep thinking comes out of my time in the studio and, and working on the artwork. 
when you are creating art, you said it takes a long time. So I'm sure you approach it from different states of mind and emotions as well. So I would think yeah. that would contribute to the complexity. Yeah, it does. I, you know, I think a lot of people probably look at my work and they think it's very quickly uh, painted because it's very expressionistic in style. Um, but I think I'm probably a slower painter in that school of style. Um, I, I do put a lot of layering into the work. And so like you mentioned, I am coming in um, over spans of time. And so a lot of different emotions and different thoughts can come and attribute to the work. But I think it, it does give it a complexity and an interest that um, is, is more for me than work that is just purely just straight from, you know, the gut and just, um, you know, work that's got that bravado and just uh, um, spontaneousness to it. I think that there's kind of, it's, it's equal equally tempered. I think it's, there are moments where um, it's very instinctual and then there's moments where I can stare at my painting for hours and contemplate what shade of green to use next. <laughs> well, let me ask you, yeah. did, did you choose art or did art choose you? Well, um, I would say, I, uh, I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> I kind of have this story um, of what happened to me and my um, path to choosing art. I was um, just a little shy of turning 21 when um, I land out in the hospital with a brain aneurysm. I've always had um, a long battle with health because I was actually born with some congenital um, birth defects. And um, at this moment in the hospital, um, I was told that I might not make it. And so I kind of had to come to grips with that thought of, wow, you know, I've, I've had a short life. There's a lot of things I wish I could have done. And um, I found myself really contemplating um, those ideas. And for some reason, I um, recalled the fame. My parents um, went out for lunch. Um, they took a trip from Madrid to Toledo. And um, they did some sightseeing and we stopped in this chapel. It um, had a large painting, mural size painting of the artist El Greco. Um, the painting was called The Burial of Count Orgaz. And I was just nine years old. And at that time I was already um, a big admirer of art. My grandmother, Lola, um, who I'm named after, she actually um, lived in the art district in Madrid and close to the Prado Museum. And she would uh, take me sometimes to the museum. And then I uh, started going to the museum on my own. I would take trips after school and I would sit there and I would look at the artwork and study it, try to uh, figure it out. And so when I was Confronted with this painting in the same way, trying to figure it out, um, understand what the artist was saying, I found myself feeling something really different than I had ever felt before in front of a work of art. And um, I actually began to cry. And so another came over to me, but I was just a scared child. It was a, a scene that was a little gruesome, a burial, a man being carried off uh, to his procession. And she tried to comfort me and explain to me that death was just part of life. But I realized at that moment that that's not what I was afraid of. Um, I felt like something then was kind of talking to me. 
and telling me to become an artist. And uh, I was scared more of that. <laughs> I was enamored by El Greco's mastery in this painting. I couldn't imagine myself ever creating anything like that. And uh, I was just struck by it. And uh, it was something I never forgot. And so here, I'm in this hospital thinking about that memory and it just came back to me so vividly. And uh, I wasn't a religious person or anything, I, although I was raised in Spain as a Catholic. Um, I just thought I better make God <laughs> in case. And uh, I did also make a promise at the same time that if I survive this, then I'll go for it. I'll, I'll pursue that. I'll try and become an artist. And so here I am still today and I'm still uh, pursuing that dream and making my best effort at doing that. Well, I know people who love your work are glad you made that commitment and that bargain so to speak, <laughs> with, uh, you know, with <laughs> yeah. God or whatever, or whatever source is. So this was the near-death awakening that you mentioned uh, before. Yeah. Mm. Well, you mentioned your grandmother. You had two grandmothers who were artists. Is that correct? I did. My uh, grandmother on my mother's side, um, just as a hobbyist, she was a painter. And then my grandmother Lola, who I'm named after, she was actually, she was a concert pianist, but she also studied painting. And she did do um, quite a bit of work as a painter. Um, not a full-time career, but she was a pretty good artist in her own right. She also was an art collector. Um, she had numerous um, works in her home that um, she enjoyed sharing with me. I loved uh, hearing stories about artwork and different styles of artwork that she was interested in. So I'd say my grandmother Lola probably had the strongest influence in me at that age and, and really having an interest in art. What was her style? Did that influence what became of your style at all? Um, you know, her work, I would say, was kind of, um, it was impressionistic in manner. I think um, she did like a lot of still life type of uh, studies, those type of things. Um, I don't know that it directly influenced my work, but her love for art certainly did. And the way she talked about art, she had friends who were artists. And so just kind of hearing their passion and their interest in art really drove me to want to investigate and be curious about art. Yeah, you mentioned your grandmother would take you to the Prado. Yes, yeah. yes, she did. Yeah, and in, in bring like galleries in her neighborhood, yeah. Fantastic. Well, obviously your parents had a big influence in your life, you know, would you discuss how they may have influenced the artist that you became later, if they did? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my, they, I absolutely think they did, maybe not in a direct way, but in the many things that they taught me that I think are important, um, maybe skills to help you as an artist. I don't know if we lost, did we lose connection or we're still going? Okay, yes. sorry. <laughs> Something popped up on my screen. But anyway, um, like you mentioned, my parents um, 
came here to the United States when I was um, very young. My father had um, an opportunity, he thought uh, it was kind of an investment to uh, make here in America, maybe early retirement. And um, his sponsor, when we came to the USA, um, unfortunately had um, given him some bad advice. And when they got here shortly after, um, they lost all of that investment and all of the money that they had saved up to retire. So um, there's something to be said, I joke around um, with my daughter about this, about the Spanish pride, um, that Spanish pride kicked in and they didn't wanna go back home and explain to everyone um, what had happened. And uh, they thought, well, how can we start over again? How can we get back on our feet and make it here? And so I remember my parents going to employment agencies and asking for work. And I remember this one day um, they met with this gentleman and he asked him, you know, I told my father, he's like, well, what kind of skills do you have? My father's like, well, I was a classic opera singer. I speak five languages fluently. So uh, the only job they had available for him um, was for a company that did catering. And my parents humbly took the job and they went to work. Uh, and luckily my father picked up uh, on the skills in a kitchen really quickly and um, started to become interested even in cooking. He, um, his boss had a collection of books um, that were from France and my father picked him up and he told his boss, he's like, I speak French. I lived in Paris for a number of years. I can help you translate these recipes and maybe we could start adding them, you know, to the menu. And so he started doing that. And, um, and it was really great because some things started to happen in my father and I saw this kind of new passion in his life. And uh, he soon went back to his friend that he made at the employment agency and he told him, well, I'd like to start a catering business on my own. I kind of want to do this independently. I'm not making enough money to support my family working for you know, um, this company. Is this something I can pursue on my own? And so his friend said, you know what? I think I have got a great job for you possibly. There's a family here in West Palm Beach that um, really enjoys entertaining. They want a personal chef, not necessarily somebody to live in their home, but to come and cater these lavish parties that they like to have. And so luckily um, that family happened to be a very affluential and important family in the community that became close friends actually with my father. And they recommended him to everyone. And his career pretty quickly took off. And he became a very popular chef at the time. And I, I always joke that he was kind of a celebrity chef before, like that was even a popular thing. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of fun for me as a child. It was an interesting life. We you know, got to see these incredible homes and lifestyles of these people. And it was like, in some ways, like we were a part of their lives almost because they were very friendly people and they included us oftentimes. I mean, there were so many times at dinner parties that I, I remember them inviting me to come out of the kitchen as a little girl and sit with them in their dinner party and talk to their friends. I even have a memory of being a child at Christmas worried at a Christmas party that Santa Claus wouldn't come to my house. Even though Santa didn't exist in Spain, I had learned about the Santa thing here living in the US. 
And I thought, I'm not home tonight. I'm at this party. Stan is going to come to my home and not see I'm there. But those people found out about that and they threw me a huge like Christmas party just for me. So I had, I had some really incredible experiences um, like, and kind of magical moments of my childhood. And so things went really well for my dad and he became successful. He started um, being able to take summers off and we started going back home to Spain and traveling again. And um, our life was really comfortable and good. And unfortunately, my father um, became ill. He had, uh, we later discovered was the early signs of Parkinson's disease. And this unfortunately was really hard on my parents. And so um, they land out divorcing. So my mother then took me back to Spain. So I went back to live in Spain for a few years. And there my mom actually met an American <laughs> and remarried. And then we returned to the United States again um, with this new husband of uh, stepfather of mine. And so that's how I land out here in Colorado. That's what brought me here. And so in of all of that, as indirect as it sounds, my parents really taught me a lot through that life experience, you know, of perseverance and hard work and believing in yourself and doing something you never thought you could do before and just, you know, all the work that it involves and all the sacrifices that you have to make to achieve those kind of goals. And those are really important things to me. And I tell people all this time as a painter to be successful. It's, uh, it's not this necessarily this gift and this talent that comes easily. It's a lot of hard work and dedication and sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, really you, don't. yeah, your parents took a big risk in traveling here. So obviously they modeled not only hard work and resourcefulness, but modeled that it's okay to take risks. And yeah. so that had to have had an impact on you choosing a career that most people would say is not one of security and stability, <laughs> that of an artist. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but you are also an art teacher. So that kind of gets the bread and butter on the table, so to speak, and gives sure. you a little bit more freedom. Yeah, it does. I enjoy teaching as well, too. I do think I'm lucky. I don't, I hear a lot of artists say, oh, well, you know, I, teaching's my day job so I can do what I really like. I, I really enjoy both. I find, you know, myself involved just as much in both, both lines of work. Fantastic. Well, you spent a summer residency in France. I'm dying to hear about this. Yeah. And, this and this triggered a shift in your artistic style, I guess, towards abstraction. So yeah. tell me, what happened in France? You know, it's interesting. Um, I've always admired abstract work. So I've always interest, most interested, I'd say, any museum I had ever entered in, I always looked immediately, which floor am I going to find, you know, as some abstract artwork in. Um, but in that time, I was actually in my undergrad at Metro State, and I was working more figuratively in my work. I did a lot of uh, portraiture and maybe even somewhat narrative uh, type of work. 
And I um, land out getting to do a this summer residency in Paris with um, students of mine that are my art teacher actually had selected to go on a kind of trip that was sponsored. Um, we were scholarship to basically go study um, outside of Giverny, uh, a few blocks away from Monet's uh, home and garden. And it was a group of actually eight women. And not all of us were artists. We were women. Uh, some of us were students from um, this teacher's class. And some of them um, were other women who were just interested in art or wanted to learn how to paint. And so here I was um, in France. We spent some days also in Paris. And um, I went to the Picasso Museum and um, came across this body of work by Picasso that um, was different from anything I had seen before. I've seen a lot of Picasso's work growing up in Spain and in the Prado Museum, but this work here in France um, seemed rather different. And it just, it just triggered that for me, that memory that I had always been drawn to abstract work. Um, and I'd always kind of found it to be more complex and, um, less derivative and less, you know, more open um, in thought for me. And so I started painting abstractly there at the residency. I started um, doing work more in that vein and I just haven't stopped since. Yeah, I think some people also feel abstract art, both creating it and observing it has a therapeutic effect because it goes straight to the emotion or sure. the, the deeper aspects of our psyche, I think. Well, anyway, our audience is just listening, all right? So they can't see your art. So could you describe your artistic style and the main influences on your work that might help our listeners sort of see your art? That, it might be challenging. I'll do my best to see if I can describe my work. Um, my work is very abstract and so and especially today it has evolved i would say my earliest work in abstraction was a type of um what we call abstraction from life taking things in like my memories and um, a lot of times it had to do with landscapes and nature um, but as the years went by, I found less attachment to those things and I didn't um, feel as interested in describing things as though um, I had seen in the world. And so my work became more and more abstract to the point now that I would not say that there's any clear connection to anything in the um, natural world in, in my work. It's completely what we call non-objective, you know, non um, referential type of abstract painting. But it is very emotive of emotion and feelings. And while sometimes I always say, I rather hear what other people say about my artwork than my own <laughs> thoughts, I, there are thoughts always involved in the work. And they may be a stream of thoughts and they may be several different thoughts that connect and, and happen. But um, I hope that those kind of thoughts somehow come across in my work. And to describe it is, it's work that's full of maybe movement, uh, color. I do like a structure in my style of abstract painting. It's not just kind of throwing paint at the canvas. I do feel like there's always some type of 
kind of um, space and shape that is forming. And so there is, while there's no representation of a thing or person, there's a structure to it. There's this kind of being um, oftentimes that I'm looking for within the work. Okay, you are a teacher and you're also a mother and a wife, okay. What is it like being a committed artist with these other responsibilities? It's, it's not easy. Um, my children um, have kind of grown up around it and um, some of them are really articulate and have learned a lot by having a mother who works in the house about art but it's it's always required me to work full-time while pursuing um, either going to school and studying art or trying to create my own artwork and be a part of a gallery and create uh, a body of work it's required me to um, work many hours and so I often um, find myself I'm awake before anyone in my home is I'm the first to get up and often the last to go to sleep. And so it's, it's consumed a lot of my life and extra time. I can't tell you uh, many uh, vacations or family events that we've had to do, but I, I do spend a lot of time with my family. I am really close with my um, children. It's just that I've had to sacrifice being able to do a lot of other things to pursue this. And, that's okay. I have a very supportive family. I'm lucky that um, they all love me and really believe in what I do. And so in that aspect, I'm really fortunate and that helps tremendously. Yeah, it sounds like you're modeling for your children what your parents model for you and that is the value of hard work yes. and what it takes to become successful at anything. Absolutely. You know? So that's a valuable gift I think for your kids and I applaud any parent who's busy. <laughs> really busy because yeah. they're producing something uh, as well as trying to be parents. I know it's a struggle. I know it's a stress, but I think the children, I think, benefit. Uh, I, I don't think it's a loss for them. I think they really do benefit. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Both my, my I have adult young children now and both uh, my kids are work tremendous amount of hours and study and, and balance a lot in their lives, but I, I'm hoping that I taught them a little bit how to balance that. Well, then what accomplishments are you most proud of, Lola? Um, you know, I had to spend a lot of years studying. <laughs> I, um, I went to do a Bachelor's of Fine Art in Studio Arts and a minor in Art History. And I did this um, actually in my 30s. So I was a non-traditional student. I went back to school while raising a family and English was my second language, even though I speak English well now finally <laughs> in life, um, it was a, a struggle to go back and study. I even happened to be dyslexic too. So it, it added a little more of a challenge having to take on that kind of um, academic learning. But um, I'm proud because I kept on doing it. I've actually was a student for 10 years because I did um, my bachelor's in fine arts. Then I went on to do um, uh, to grad school for education and I became a K through 12 teacher, an art teacher for a number of years. And then I went on and I did my terminal degree and I did a master's in fine art. 
And so um, a lot of time and sweat <laughs> and probably plenty of tears went into uh, achieving that. But I'm, I'm happy to say um, that I was able to do that. I mean, I'm first generational um, here in this, you know, my, my students, I mean, my children are first generational students of mine with me coming here to this country. And so I think education is one of those things that we're really lucky here that we have a lot of freedom in. Um, not to say my family, I have most of my family is still in Spain and their um, children are able to study whatever they want. I don't think they have as much opportunities as we do here. And so there may be career choices and what they want to study are not as open as, as it is and as free as it is here. And so that for me was what allowed me to go back and say, okay, I, you know, this art thing might not be a lucrative career, but it's okay to study it. It's, it's acceptable. It's a nice thing to, to go back and look and, and learn about. And so I was fortunate, you know, to be here that that kind of afforded me that. Nice. Well, if the next 10 years turned out exactly the way you wanted them to, okay, what would it look like for you? Well, it's <laughs> an interesting question. Hopefully, I'm still learning. I, uh, I love being a student. So in some capacity, I hope I'm still learning and growing, even if it's not in a formal education type setting. But, um, and I definitely hope to continue to develop my craft as an artist and still be making art. Um, but I've also had this dream, and I think it kind of comes from seeing my parents' um, life and all the friends that they had, that they had many friends who happened to be artists and in the art world and music um, industry. And I've had this idea of um, having an art residency in Spain. And so I actually was gonna go to Spain this summer to try to make some connection with a few um, art residencies, but um, COVID happened and I had to cancel my trip. And so um, and now I'm home for a while thinking about maybe this might not be the best time to start doing this, but I hope to still continue to, to pursue that and hopefully one day can, can have that dream come true. I'd, I'd love to bring people back and forth from Spain to the USA and have kind of like an exchange program, um, maybe where artists can visit each other's studios and maybe a like mentorship that could happen back and forth with people between both countries. I really like that idea of mentorship. Uh, I, so many of my students have mentioned that to me in my art classes. Uh, those who have achieved something in the art world want to mentor. Those yeah. who have achieved something in any field want to mentor others. It's, it's a strong impulse to give back and I like that. And I love the idea of an exchange program for artists. So I hope that comes to fruition. Well, what do you want your great, great grandchildren to think of when their parents talk about you? Oh my, <laughs> well, that's a difficult question, but I mean, just to be honestly, I hope they, they can say that I was a good person above everything. As, as, as much as I, I love art and that is my, my world and my life and everything, you know, thing kind of seems to surround around that there's, there's more to life. And I think, I hope that they can say that I was 
a good person in many aspects besides my talents and my achievements, that I was a good mother, that I was a good grandmother, I one day hope to be, and a good friend and a good citizen and teacher and uh, that I, I, above all things, cared about things that were important. Well, thank you for sharing that. Okay, you are currently in the Peak Progression exhibit at the Arvada Center, but what's next? Is there anything that you're planning beyond that or working towards? Um, I can't say, I can't give too many details about something I am working out at the time because I spoke with um, some other people that I'm kind of collaborating with and they said, oh, don't say anything too soon. But <laughs> I know, but I do have a project um, that might be in the works that's going to look like a, and so don't quote me on this, but it looks like it might be a kind of a collaboration of many local artists um, working together during this time of the pandemic and creating an installation of their works um, in this kind of reflective time and the processes that they took um, while trying to continue to work and, and either work that was inspired by the events that are happening or just being an artist during the events of what's happening. Yeah, I'm very that's curious. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah. That, that's great. I'm very curious, 10 years from now, when we look back and look at the art produced during this pandemic, if we're going to be able to see a definite shift and uh, some kind of unique expression emerge from it. Yeah, I wonder that too. I mean, you know, so much of that happened throughout our history. We see all of our big art movements were really climatic, you know, with progress or change or, you know, events in the world. But we're in a very different uh, kind of place in life now where kind of everything is happening and everything is going and that's wonderful. Everything's acceptable and our, you know, world is a united uh, world across borders and so all cultures are a part of it. Um, I don't know. I don't, it, it's, it's something I think about sometimes. It's hard to imagine, but I don't, don't know. I don't know what's going to happen and I, I'm not sure how directly this will affect the future of the work. Um, I hope it does. It'd be fascinating to see um, if something great comes out of that. I, I think we, we need some good change in our world still, and I'd love to see art be a part of that. But it's, uh, it's, it's hard to say at this moment, too, what, what could happen. Well, here's my final question for you. Um, it allows you to be a mentor now to other artists. So what advice would you give someone else who wants to follow their calling, but finds life's responsibilities getting in the way? Um, I'd say you just can't have that excuse. Everyone does. <laughs> Every life is in the way of everybody, uh, and you know, and being an artist is it's really hard, and you you can't do it as just if you want to pursue it as a career, you can't do it as a side pursuit. You can't do it as a part-time job. It has to be your full-time you know, dedication. You might have to do that with another full-time career. And you may have to do that with another huge set of responsibilities in your life and less sleep and you know and and more sacrifices but you know there's if that's really what you feel is what you want to do you find a way there's no excuse you can't have that you you push through it and 
like others, you just persevere through it and you make it happen somehow if it, that's really what you want. Yeah. Yeah, I like that advice and no excuses. You just no. have to, you just have to go for it if you want to feel at peace inside, feel exactly. in a state of integrity. You yeah. Know. But a lot of people don't make that choice and they have this dis-ease within themselves that they carry around. And unfortunately, they usually self-medicate or do other things to, to um, cope with it. But anyway, Lola, uh, I just want to acknowledge you now at this time. I want to say that I admire you and uh, for just bringing into the world uh, beautiful art while you're also fulfilling your responsibilities as a mother and as a spouse and as a teacher, making that tremendous impact. So thank you for taking time out of your extremely busy life to share a bit of your life and work with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, really. I appreciate too you uh, also bringing to the world all of this, you know, knowledge and and bringing the arts forward to, for people to discuss and learn more about. And I appreciate you having me here on your show. Well, thank you. I hope uh, you'll be back again in the future. So thank you. Well, that's another episode of Whamma Art Asylum. Thank you for joining me. If you have benefited in any way from this podcast, please don't hesitate to share it with your friends and colleagues. Until next time, keep on creating. Bye.